welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. If you look to the screen, I'm going to share with you two verses and we're going to get into it today. It's going to be amazing. Mark 10.45 says, Even, for even, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to earth to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's some wisdom before we move right into the meat. You may want to think about, God did not put you on earth to live a self-centered life. God did not put you on this earth to live a self-centered, self-absorbed life. Amen? This verse tells us that the Son of Man didn't come to live a self-centered, me, oh, my life gazing in the mirror, wondering whether the whole world loved him. He came to serve. That alone is a revelation for the body of Christ. God didn't design you to be self-centered. Here's another thought from that scripture. Whatever you give in life multiplies. Whatever you give multiplies. It's a law of the kingdom. And so if you give life, you will get life. Isn't that exciting? If you want abundant life, then give some away. Whatever you give multiplies. If you want an exciting, abundant, joy-filled life, stop thinking about yourself and give some life away. We could go home now and that would be enough. But it is the key to life is to give it away. Why was Jesus more joyful than anybody else? Because he gave his life away, constantly. Here's another scripture. Now, look on the screen again. Philippians 2 verse 3. And you may want to underline this scripture in your Bible because it's a great scripture. Let nothing. How much? Okay, we've got that. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, and humility is not thinking less of yourself, Humility is thinking of yourself less. Okay? Rick Warren said that. Humility is not thinking of yourself in a lesser way, but it's just thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. So we need to have a healthy self-esteem, but just not become self-absorbed. So in lowliness of mind or humility, let, let us esteem or value others better than ourselves. In other words, get your eyes off yourself and onto someone else. This is really helpful today. I'm a male version of Joyce Meyer today. <laughs> but it's so true. And I know it's going to grate maybe a couple of people, but it can grate us because the world system wants us to look at ourselves. But here Paul says, let's value others as better than ourselves. Let each of us. How many? All of us. Each of us. Not just look out for our own interest, but also for the interest of other people. So that means when you come to church, have somebody else on your mind besides yourself. Now, I didn't like church today. I know it doesn't happen here, but other churches have been to. I didn't like church today. I didn't like your sermon. And all this complaining and nonsense. But Paul says... Let's look out for the interests of other people. That's why he also says, when you come to church, have a psalm, hymn, or spiritual song. Not so people can listen to you sing. 
He wasn't saying, he's saying, have something to give away. Have an encouraging word. Yeah, yeah I didn't get a prophecy today. Well, no, 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 maybe not. But did you give one? Did you encourage somebody? Did you love somebody? Now, no one talks to me. Well, did you talk to someone? <laughs> not very friendly, church. You know, you go to, you, I, don't, I don't suggest you do that, but you go on Google and you see reviews of not just churches, but cafes and, and people complaining and, and not very friendly. Well, were you friendly? <laughs> it's easy to get friends in this world. Just smile. You'll shock people. It says, look out for the interest. This word interest is what we call, theologians call, a filler. In other words, it's put there to try and make sense of the verse because there's gaps sometimes in the Greek. So we could put it this way, look out for the interest of others or look out for the health of others, the financial stability of others, the happiness of others, the security of others. Paul's saying, look out for other people's interests, what they need. How are you going? Yeah. There's a line you could use. Is it okay with you today? How has your week been? And listen. One translation of that verse, verse 4, this is the easy to read version. Did you know there's a Bible version called easy to read? I'm telling you. It says, don't, and it's easy to read, by the way. Don't be interested only in your own life, but care about the lives of other people. The Passion puts it this way. Abandon every display of self-centeredness or selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interest. The message says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. I think we can sum it all up is that we have to look out for other people. And I want this to be the default setting in my life for some people, it's easier than others. Some of us are introverted. Some are extroverted. Some are contemplate more than others. But it needs to be the default setting in our life that we are looking out for the interests of others. We are asking questions, observing people from their point of view and not just our own. Now, what would happen if all us as a church could live that lifestyle when we all came to church looking out for the interests of other people. I've discovered that when you focus less on your problems, it always helps. Now, it doesn't make your problems vanish, but it brings perspective to your world. And the Bible says that as we give, we receive. So if you're giving to help other people's problems, guess what? Something begins to happen to your problems. Yeah. What you sow, you reap. If you're self-centered, you reap Self-centeredness, you reap the reward of self-centeredness, which is a very small, narrow world and not much God activity. It seems like Paul's asking for the impossible. For selfish, I'm, I'm generalizing now, but self-centered human beings that want to be served and pampered to give their lives away for other people. Is it even possible that there could be a community of believers, even a handful, that live beyond themselves? Philippians 2.4 says, to look out for others. This word in the Greek is scopus, which is where we get the word telescope or, or anything with a scope attached to it. It's to scope out. He's saying, scope out, look out, scope the horizon and look to see 
whether there's somebody in need. Lift up your view and see. Thinking like a servant is very difficult. Now, I know some people go, oh, it's very easy, but it's not. I'm here to tell the truth. Not the religious version, but the truth. It's not easy to live like a servant, is it? Because it challenges the basic issues of life. And this is it. I am, you are, we are many times selfish. And we think about ourselves way too much. And that's the problem with servant lifestyle, is that most people, to some degree, are self-centred. Okay, well, not me. Well, There's another word for you. It's called deluded. But all of us, because that's part of the nature that God is transforming, is this part of us that is selfish, that wants us to be nurtured and pampered. There was a Roman poet. I've looked up his name. There's many ways to pronounce it, so I'll just pronounce it the way I think it's right, but it's Ovid. And uh, he, he wrote a, a tale that cautioned us about this lifestyle of vanity and self-absorption. And uh, he wrote this story about a man called Narcissus, and he was a young, handsome man, not dissimilar to myself. <laughs> he didn't know he was handsome so much. But one day he walked and he went past a pool of water, a spring of water, and he saw his reflection and his breath was taken away. It is true. I am as handsome as everyone tells me. He was shocked. Here before his face was the most handsome man that the world has ever produced. Not a flaw in his skin, no pimples in sight, beautiful contour, and his breath was taken away. Well, he couldn't stop looking, as you would, at this beautiful picture. Minutes went by. It's a bit like some of the ladies that we know. Hours went by, <laughs> looking at that mirror. Could it be that I am the most beautiful person in all the world? They tried to take him home, but he wouldn't leave. He was, he was hooked on this picture. Well, they came back the next day and he was still there. Days went to weeks. And his body that was once full and beautiful began to deteriorate until one day he died by that image. The allure of self and the peril of self. This story points to this fact that his preoccupation with self prevented him from living life and he slowly died. Are you hearing me? His preoccupation with self, even though it was so alluring, was the very thing that was slowly sapping his life, and eventually he died. What's the parallel? If you are obsessed with yourself, you are slowly dying. And the more you look, the more you die. The, the, the story is, get away from the image. Get on with life. Stop looking at yourself. Yes, you are beautiful. Now move on. <laughs> the modern rise of this Narcissistic lifestyle is so prevalent. 
Social media is a wonderful tool. It's, it is wonderful. I love it. But it's, it has this, as you can see there, imagine a pilot sticking his head out the window to take a selfie. Do you know, selfies originated with an Australian person. It was an Australian man that was drunk. And he hit his face and, and he bled and he took a selfie. So we lay credit for this amazing tool called a selfie. It began with us. I don't know if that's good or bad. But this whole concept of selfies is, is, is all around the world. People are taking pictures of themselves even when their lives are at risk because they want to be noticed. And so we have a, a mindset in the world of self-assertiveness, self-actualization, self-awareness, self-reliance, self-consciousness. Me, 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 me. Look at me. It's so prevalent. 2 Timothy chapter 3. See, Paul knew about selfies back then. He said, have a look what he said. He says, and know this, in the last days, times will be hard. You see, the world will be filled with what? People. That's the voice translation. The New King James puts it this way, for men will be lovers of themselves. Men will take selfies. Men will be lovers of themselves. It is prevalent in our culture, but it's not part of kingdom culture. There are two challenges facing the church today. Do you know what they are? I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. They are this. Number one, low self-esteem. And we know how to fix low self-esteem. Joyce has told us that as well. We fix low self-esteem by listening to what God says about us. What is the truth about me? I'm not some bit of trash. I'm not worthless. I'm not one that has no value. I'm made in the image of God. I am unique. And, and so what I'm speaking about today, there's two sides to this coin. I've got to be careful how I put this, but it's, but it's not all of God and none of me. Because if it was, there'd be none of you. God didn't want all of him and none of you. That's why he made you. It's all of God and all of you as he made you to be. That's the issue. He doesn't want less of you. He just wants less of the unredeemed you, less of the selfish you, which is not the real you anyway. So low self-esteem. And so we come into the kingdom and we discover that God is absolutely in love with us. The moment we get born again, we discover the nature of the Father. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's sweeping the world. There's Father heart movements where we're discovering how much God loves us. Songs have swept into the kingdom telling us who we are. And it's wonderful, isn't it? It's not a trick. It's, it's wonderful. It is wonderful. But the other challenge is the other side of the coin, which is self-preoccupation. And that's a challenge. Because if we stick on one side of the coin, all our songs, all our focus, all our endeavours is about who I am. Falling in love with me again. It's a dangerous place to live, to camp. Because love, it's not all about you. And part of your problem why you don't change is because you've made the world all about you. Your problems. We've all got problems. Join the queue. But here's the thing. Most of your problems, not all, but most of your problems would be resolved if you'd stop looking at yourself. 
Because healing takes place in the context of giving your life away, of serving, of loving, of allowing your eyes to be turned outwards and not inwards. I'm not hurting you, am I? Now, I like that. Well, you may not like it, but it's the truth. And what you're doing, if you're self-centered, let me tell you, it's not working. So if you've lived 20, 40, 60 years of misery, of self-centeredness, wouldn't you ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? It's not working, love. Try another way. Try a lifestyle of living for other people. I tried that for a week. It didn't work. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Well, you can get abused doing that. Oh, I know. It didn't stop him, though. And to give, because he knew the key to life is to give it away. The Father sends his reign on the just and the unjust. (laughs) Because he's a self for other God. It's the nature of love. Love never fails. So, here's the thing about self preoccupation. You ready? I can make God all about me. Sharon Miller, who wrote a great book on this whole concept of selfishness, she wrote, don't settle for a focus that is partially about Christ and mostly about you. So we open the Bible and we ask this question, what is God saying about me? Well, guess what? In the Bible, he's saying lots of things and they're not all about you. We sing songs that are about who we are. So one of the things that we do in this church when we have our review meetings, I sit with Josh, we look at our songs and we say, do we have a balance? Are there songs that talk about who Jesus is? Are we encouraging our people to get their eyes on him? Or is it all about who we are? And there has to be a balance. Are we encouraging our people to get a view of other people in our worship? We ask Jesus, what do you think about me in our prayer? There's a lady called Izzy Deke singing. She's a friend of this church, Izzy and Finney. And she wrote a song about Jesus, the longing of the nations. She said in this song, you've become my vision. You fill in every view until all I see is you. It's a great song because he wants to take our vision. So if our conversations, our prayer, our our reading of the word, our singing, if it's all about us, we need an upgraded view. We can make God all about me. Have you done that in your prayers? If you go back and read what you're praying or read what you or analyze what you're thinking, we can turn God into a being that's all about us. And when he doesn't do what we want, when we want, we crack it with him. Oh, I'm finished with you. I thought you were here to help me, serve me, love me, lay your life down for me. And you haven't come through. Right, I'm giving you one week. If you haven't come through, I'm gonna, I'm not coming to church anymore. I'm not paying my tithes anymore. I'm not even going to witness. We make God all about us. We give him ultimatums and threats. Of course you don't. Maybe it's just me. And these questions are important. Jesus, what do you think about when you think about me? They are important. But if we only ask these questions, we never discover who he is. God, what's on your heart? What's on your heart for this day? What's on your heart for the people when I come today? What's on your heart for this city? 
Lord, I want to know what's on you, in, in your mind today. What are you thinking? There was one woman that came to Jesus and anointed his oil, sorry, his feet with oil before he died because she knew what was on his heart. The rest of the disciples said, it's come for a free feed. <laughs> free KFC. Come along. Party time. One woman gets his heart. And they criticised her, but she knew his heart. She was a self-other person. She captured his heart. So we can make God all about me. Do you know what? We can also make our family all about us. Here's a modern thing. Maybe it's modern, maybe it's not. But we can turn our kids so they become all about us. Children are not the fulfilment of your identity. And it should never be asked to be that way. So we turn our children into things that we use to gain self-fulfillment. Of course you don't do that. But we can make it all about us. God all about us. Our children all about us. So we're trying to live our lives through them. And so we use them as a means to gain attention, but it's really about us. We can make church all about us. It's great being a pastor. It's interesting even standing at the door and asking people what they thought when they came for the first time. And not all, but many people, it's about them. Well, I'd come back, but you don't have a crash for people between, children between the ages of three and three and six months. So I don't think I'll be back again. They've turned church into a place where it's all about them and not about where God wants them to be, not about serving not about being part of a family of believers, not about the power of the word to transform their life. So we can make God about us, our family about us, our church about us. We can make our devotional life all about us and spend so much time in personal reflection. And there's a difference between healthy reflection, listen, and being absorbed with yourself. I teach a lot about knowing yourself. And there is a place for healthy reflection. But there's a time when it goes over that and you become so absorbed with your world. And I say to you today, if your mind is constantly on yourself, you are self-absorbed. If your mind is constantly on yourself, you are self-absorbed. Your world is too small. If your mind is always on yourself, your prayer life is always about you. Your world is too small. Get a bigger world. God spoke to Abraham, get out of the tent. Why did he say that? His world was too small. He became so narrow-minded. Look at the stars. This is what it's about, Abraham. A big, big world that I want you to impact. Some of us need to get out of our tent of introspection and self-absorption. So when you come home, you're thinking about other people. Ah, yes, yes, you. Well, I can hear those objections floating around above your heads. You don't know what it's like. You're not married to a man like me. Sorry, I'm just going back to rewrite 1 Corinthians. Love never fails. That's right. Except when you're married to a man like mine. No, it doesn't fail. A self for other, other life does not fail. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind 
be in you. So we read Philippians 2.4. He goes on to say, Paul, let this mindset be in you. And then, then he talks about the mindset of Christ. A mindset that loses yourself to find yourself. The truth is that our Christian life is a call to death, is it not? But it's not death without, as the end. We don't die and that's it. But it's death that brings life. It's death to the selfish nature so we can live in our true nature. The object is not death, annihilation. It's renewal. It's resurrection. It's being resurrected to a new way of living. Matthew 7, 14 says, Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. I want to say it's not just salvation. I want to say it's, it's the way to abundant life. It's a narrow way. It's a confined way. It's a way where you've got to let your own agenda go. Self-centeredness, go. You've got to go through that skinny gate and then you come up to an abundant life. The ones that live the most, that have the most abundant life are those that look out for other people. Matthew 10, 39 says, Whoever finds his life will lose it. In other words, he's saying, if you are self-centered, you will lose life. Can I say it again? If you are self-centered, you are dying on the inside. I don't care how many wonderful pictures you post on Facebook of how great your life is. If you are self-centered, you are dying on the inside. And self, unredeemed, is the worst master you could ever follow. It's like that man we talked about, looking at your image and dying on the inside, self-absorbed. But those that lose their life for my sake will find it. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says it this way, Jesus died for everyone, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. Over and over, here's the theme. Lose your life and find it. Kill off those self-centered ways and you'll find life. Easy, isn't it? Easy, isn't it? So, so far we've established life is not about me. Let's say it together. Life is not about me. There's a revelation. Let's say this one. There is more to life. Than me. Wow. People would pay thousands to hear that. So how do we overcome this constant pull to self-centeredness? Just very quickly, I'm going to give you a couple of things. Because we're establishing this as we embark on our month of servanthood. You can't serve if you're self-centered. So that's why I'm doing this as a startup. We've got to nail this issue of self-centeredness. Life is more than about me. Life is bigger than me. And it's not about me. Okay, we've got that established. So how do we do that? Here's a couple of quick things. Number one, give yourself away intentionally. 168 hours a week, and there should be at least one or two of them, where you devote that in service to other people. The Good Samaritan is a story about a man or men on assignment but missing their assignment because they didn't develop a lifestyle of intentionally giving 
themselves away. Ephesians 2.10 says God has given us new lives in Christ and long ago he planned that we would spend our lives helping other people. Did you hear that? God's plan, you're like, well, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. God's plan for your life was planned way, way, way before, and it's never changed. And he planned this, that you would give your life away in service to other people. That's it. And as you do that, it will hone in. You will never discover your assignment if you're self-centered. There's a revelation. Should I say it again? If you can't discover, if you've not discovered your assignment, maybe you're a little, just a little, selfish. And your assignment is going to call you to give out to other people. So as you give out to other people, God will direct your steps and open up clearly your assignment. See, they don't teach you that vision casting days and discovering your assignment for life. Here it is. Give your life away. And God will make it so clear. Mark 8.35 says, If you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those that throw away their lives for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to truly live. Did you hear that? Only those that give their life away will know what it means to truly live. God designed you in such a way that only when you are serving people out of a pure heart with no agenda, that you truly discover how to live. And we're going to talk about the motivations of a servant. But it's when you serve people without an agenda, without wanting to be noticed. Well, no one told me today that I was amazing. No, you're a servant. And that will come in time, but you'd serve out of a pure heart, out of a love for God and a love for people. And you're flexible. And you'll jump in when you need. Well, it's not my gifting. Well, you know what? If you're on the Titanic and someone's drowning, even if you can't throw very far, pick up that rotten thing and throw it out to them and save it. What's the round thing called? The boy. Throw the boy out. Here's a thought. Purpose flows out of responsibility. People who lack purpose by and large, haven't got any responsibilities. Did you get that? Purpose flows out of responsibility. If you have no responsibility, you will lack purpose. So find somewhere to serve. Find somewhere where people need you, where you make a difference. Find an area of responsibility and serve. See, it boggles my mind. It's like clockwork. I can tell. When it comes to November, people get to the end of the year and they think, I'm so tired. Well, have, have you prayed for the last three weeks? No, but I'm, I'm tired, I'm burnt out. <laughs> and so they give up all these things and they don't realise it's the responsibility that they carry that gives them purpose. So January comes and they're lacking purpose. So they want to go to assignment crusades and meetings. I don't feel like I've got any vision anymore. No, because you threw it all away. The responsibility was giving you purpose. Yeah. So you don't chuck it away. You just stay in alignment with God, seek his face, love him, and he will sustain you because he's designed you to serve. He designed you to serve. It is doable to serve and do life with joy. 
Purpose flows out of responsibility. Don't throw away responsibility. It brings purpose to life. So make a decision. We said to give yourself away intentionally. Number two, very quickly, make a decision to live in love. 1 Corinthians 13.5 says, love isn't selfish. You cannot be selfish and loving at the same time. I wish I had time to talk about this, but self-centeredness is poison to relationships. If you go into a marriage selfish, it will kill your marriage. I thought I was just going to be loved when I got married. I thought she'd meet all my needs. It's a dangerous place to go into any relationship with selfish motives. It will kill you. Marriage is not about trying to fulfill all your desires and make you happy and there's no pushback. It's not about that. Marriage is about two people coming together, loving each other in holy commitment, contending with one another in a good way to bring change and transformation. Selfishness has no place in a marriage. They did a survey. If you have one negative pushback for every five wonderful you're amazing in a marriage, it's doomed to fail. Too much negativity. If you have one pushback for every 11 you're amazing, no one like you, your marriage will fail as well. The reason is you can either have too much or too little. You marry someone because there's going to be the healthy amount of pushback and contention and challenges to transform you. Love is not self-centered. There's a degree where you allow people to speak into your life. You you absorb the contention and the challenges to change you. If you marry someone that always agrees with you, you've married someone who's deluded. Oh, it's landed. Do you get that? You are not perfect. I just heard a balloon pop. <laughs> he's talking to you, love. Now he's talking to you. Make a daily decision to live in love, and love is not selfish. See, one of the purposes of church is to teach people to build relationships so they're not self-centered. We're a family. We're not lone rangers. Now, I know there's a time to to settle, but church is not about just sitting in the pew, looking and going home. The age of live stream is wonderful because it allows people to connect when they couldn't. But live stream is not supposed to be the normal for everybody because we need family, we need love, we need challenges to our self-centered ways. We need someone to say, would you do this when you don't want to do it? And he goes, sure, I'll step in. I'll clean that toilet. I'll speak to that person. I'll do that thing. I'll do whatever it is that you want. Why? Because we are allowing the body of Christ. It's like a marriage. We're allowing the contention to transform us and to expose the areas of self-centeredness. Spiritual healthy people have it factored into their life every week some form of fellowship and service. It's just the way it works. And one of the primary ways that we serve God is serving other people. Number three, we practice self-denial. You're the man. We find at least one thing each day that we do out of conviction and not out of convenience for the good of somebody else. 
Jesus said we take up our cross daily. Listen to this. At some point, God is going to ask you, if you listen, to do something that isn't about you. I don't know what he was thinking, but he's going to do that. That doesn't make you feel good and that may require you to suffer a little. And you're going to have to make a choice. Get behind me, Satan. He's going to ask you to speak to people, to love people, to forgive people, to serve people. And it's not going to be about you. It's not going to build your little kingdom immediately. It's not about you. He's going to ask you and you have a decision to make. Will I deny myself and take up my cross? And the cross is the crucifixion, the burial, the death and burial of my selfish ways which we must take up daily. Will I choose to do that and walk as a follower of Christ or will I remain self-centered for the rest of my life? God-centered callings always lead to various levels of self-sacrifice. If there's no sacrifice in your calling, you haven't got a God calling. I knew there'd be lots of amens today, but that's okay. Self-denial is such a powerful thing in the kingdom. What does it look like? Well, it looks like watching other people succeed when you're not and cheering them on. You're amazing. You got what? A $100,000 raise? Fantastic. Self-denial. Well, I I, I tithe more than them. I serve more in the church. And God, you're blessing them. Self-denial. Rejoicing when others succeed. It's serving your family above yourself. It's not seeking praise or recognition or approval. It's drawing, here's one, drawing out others in conversation. Have you met people from the other church that when you talk to them, you can't get a word in and every conversation is about them? and about their children, their family, their problems, and not once do they ask you, oh, by the way, how's it going with you? Oh, good, good. Now, back to me again. (laughs) Self-denial in everything that we do is accepting instruction without being offended. So we make a commitment to self-denial. This is at the heart of living a life for other people. If you're truly going to be a servant, you're going to have to deny yourself. And lastly, here's another one. There's plenty of them, but here's another one. Make a decision to reject self-centeredness and do it every day. Look at me. Every day, we need to speak to self-centeredness and say, you do not belong in me. Yes? Yes? Come on, come on, don't let me down now. Stay with me. Psalm 101 verse 4 says, here's a great verse. I will reject all selfishness and stay away from every evil. Isn't it interesting that it connects evil and selfishness? When you are selfish, it opens the door to evil in your life. I will reject self. So when you get up in the morning, how about you pray this prayer? In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit and the predisposition over my life to be self-centered. In Jesus' name. I will make the world bigger than me today. I will look out for other people even when I am in pain. Could we do that? 
I'm not going to be selfish in my marriage, in my relationships this week. I'm not going to be selfish with my children and use them for my own means. Romans 8.3 says, The law of Moses can't do this. See, when the law came, it essentially showed us the heart of God, but we couldn't do it out of our own. See, this is not about me trying to work up a nice heart. This is done in the spirit. This is done by relying on God. So the law could expose our selfish desires, but it couldn't set us free. But it says, but God set you free when he sent his son. God used Christ's body to condemn sin. So when Jesus came, he condemned that self-centered nature inside you. Listen to me. Are you listening? Jesus' death was to rid you of self-centeredness. So when he came to earth, he says, I have come to do my own will. Now, I've come to do your will. It's written of me in the book. I desire to do your will, O Lord. He learned obedience through the things he suffered. Why? Because he was doing it so he could transfer that obedient nature. By choice, he chose that and offer it to us. So our old nature would be crucified and our new nature, which is Christ in me, his love, his nature would rise up in me and kill off all self-centeredness. So I decree over my life, self-centeredness, that spirit of the enemy, that self for self spirit is dead in my life. In Jesus' name. Does anyone agree? I decree each day. So these are decrees we make over self-centeredness. We have to be active against this thing. It's an insidious spirit that comes to take us out. I say I have the nature of Jesus in me. I speak to self-centeredness. I say to myself... I am the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost. And guess what about the Holy Spirit? His Spirit is in me, and in my reborn spirit is the fruit of self-control. My selfish ways do not have control. I have control over this, this lie of the enemy that says you need to look after yourself and make yourself number one. The Spirit of the Holy Ghost inside me eliminates self-centeredness and puts within me the fruit of self-control. So when you want to bite back, and we're all growing in this, where we want to respond, where we want to be sustained unforgiveness, this, the Holy Ghost, as we pray in the Spirit and fellowship with Him, His love takes over and He gives us the spirit of self-control. Not misery, not pity, not shame, not all these other rubbish. We come and we're alive to Him. And I've got control over self-centeredness. Isn't that good? So we make daily decisions. Speak to that thing. Remind ourselves who lives within us. And lastly, as we're doing that, we begin to quote the Word of God. Look at this last scripture. It says, The law of the Lord is a lamp, and its teachings shine brightly. Correction and self-control will lead you through life. So as we read the Word... God begins, you see, his words are spirit and they are life. As we declare the word, as we speak over our lives the word of the Lord, the Holy Spirit begins to take those words and his spirit begins to minister to our spirit. Life flows. That's what I do. I decree the word of the Lord over my life. I tell myself who I am in Christ, who God is. I tell myself that I can live in self-control. I speak, I give him my spirit and my soul and my body. 
I talk to my mind, my will, and my emotions to come into alignment and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I speak to who I am and say, you're aligned with the mind of God. You will be a self other person. You are a servant of the most high God. You don't just fall into this. You don't just wake up one day and free from selfishness. I wish there was a magic wand and that could overhead and we go from selfishness to, to love for others. But you've got to speak to yourself. You've got to take authority over these selfish ways. You've got to stay purpose to stay in love. All these keys I've given you today, you've got to take by choice today. This selfishness that has crept in, I see it in the spirit now like a, here it is, it's like a vine. In, our, in our, one of the houses we owned, we had a jasmine vine. Creepy things they are. And they would go up, and all of a sudden you give it an inch and it'd take a mile. It'd appear through all sorts of places. You'd cut one branch and it'd pop out another place. And that's what selfishness is like. You've got to kill the thing at the roots. Don't trim your selfishness. Don't have a day where you think about others. Kill it at the roots. Begin to speak to it and say, self-centeredness, I bind you in Jesus' name. You are dead and buried. I refuse to allow you to grow in my life. And you get out that poison you get from Bunnings and you don't dilute it with water. You pour the whole bottle on it. And you kill the thing. And then you dig it out the roots and you throw it in the bin. We've played with self-centeredness for so long. We've got to cut it off at the roots. Kill it. Get rid of it. So every day you speak that thing. In Jesus' name, I remind you that you're dead and buried. I am a servant of the Most High God. And I find my life by giving it away. And I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to find somebody that I can give a look, a word, a touch. I'm going to shake their hand. I'm going to look at them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to say, how are you? You're a mighty man or woman of God. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to give a prayer. I'm going to send a text. But you see, that's the way it works. You kill selfishness and the life of God flows. So how about you today? You've got one of these cards. It says, I look out not only for my own interest. So we're not saying you've got to neglect yourself and never, never take a shower. Never have a day out where you pamper yourself. We're not saying that. That, that. that would be the other extreme. We're saying a healthy self-esteem. But, but there's, but also. Do you see that phrase? But also. I look out not only for my own interest, but also. Say with me, but also but also for the interest of others. That's our scripture for this month. Every month it's a, it's a different aspect of the life of God. And this is the servant life. So we ask you to take this card home, maybe stick it on your wall, whatever you need to do. Recite it, meditate, say, God, who can I bless this week? Who can I bless today? Amen? Amen. So why don't you hold that card in your hand if you've got it, and we're going to pray for you. Father, I thank you today that you are the ultimate expression of love and a self for other God. You so loved the world that you gave. And we thank you that that same nature is inside everyone who puts their trust in you. So I'm asking today, Lord, that your spirit within us would teach us how to be true servants, living to release life to other people. Lord, this week, 
Lead us to people that need encouragement, need to know about you. Lead us to people that need to accept you as Lord and Savior. Cause our eyes to see other people. Cause our eyes to turn outward today. I ask, Lord, that as we do that and focus afresh on that this month, the testimonies of breakthrough and your favor and your grace upon circumstances would come over and over again in our lives. And before we finish praying, just as every eye is closed, whether you're listening to me on live stream or you may be here today, may hear this on YouTube, if you've never received Jesus as your Lord, today is the day to do it. And all you need to say is, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died for me to set me free, to forgive me of my sin. I put my trust in you. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. If you pray a prayer like that, whether you're here today or watching live stream or YouTube, the Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you truly will be saved. And he'll give you a new nature, a nature that causes you to love like you could never love in your own strength. He is your reason for living. He is your purpose. There is no purpose aside from Jesus. There is no hope, no life. Nothing makes sense without Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. And I urge you with all my heart, if you've never asked Jesus in your life, do it today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. And if you can hear my voice, whether it's in the years to come, whether it's today or tomorrow, make him Lord of your life and you'll never regret it. God bless you.